Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Pat and Cam, and you guys are really in for a treat. We have RJ Adolfi, CEO of Medical Man Cave. You guys probably remember Gary T. Uh, from a couple weeks ago. Well, now we got the big boss. He's also the chief growth officer for Hope for Cancer. And he was the founding member of the first dental support organization in the United States. So very accomplished. Um, I've had the privilege of sharing some time with RJ. Um, this is going to be a good one, guys. So RJ, thank you so much for coming on the mm -hmm. podcast and providing our mm -hmm. audience with some education about what you got going on and, and some of your history. Sure. More than happy to be here. Awesome. Oh, yeah. We're definitely excited to get somebody with such, you know, big stature coming on to uh, our podcast, especially with what you guys are pioneering, what you guys are doing right now. You know, you're making big waves. My family recognized back in 1979 that, you know, dentistry in this country wasn't accessible, it wasn't affordable, and it wasn't convenient. So that's what we did and my family did is we made dentistry in this country accessible, affordable, and convenient. And the same exact uh, formula is being used today, um, you know, as part of one of the biggest dental providers in the world. Um, and, and that's really what it's about, healthcare. Healthcare in our country has never been dentistry or uh, healthcare has never been really accessible, affordable, and convenient. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, some statistics read that over 100 million people in this country have never been to the dentist. Over 100 million people in this country or more, um, depending on who you read, have never been to a doctor. Um, and it's, you know, really a misnomer that women go to the doctor more than men. No, there are 150 million, 100 million plus people in this country that have never been to a doctor. Um, you know, so it's really, those numbers were really alarming. So when we started, um, you know, the first DSO in this country with upstate dental health services, um, which turned into Aspen Dental, as everybody would know it today, was 100% privately owned for 20 years um, before we did the name change. Um, but it wasn't accessible, it wasn't affordable, and it wasn't convenient. So we opened them in, you know, as you know, in every commercial spot in the country, um, we were open six days a week. We accepted walk-ins welcome and we had 0% interest in house payment plans. So we took away every excuse for someone not to get dental care. And we didn't want anybody who's ever been to the dentist. We opened these locations and we opened the man cave medical man cave three years ago for, to look for anybody who's never been to the doctor. So we're literally with, um, the dental we made patients dental centric. We used to get a lot of pushback when we'd open new locations through the early eighties and into the nineties, all through the eighties and nineties when we were hundred percent privately owned. And we would open locations all the time and the dental societies would be up in arms because they thought we were gonna be stealing their patients. When in actuality, it was the complete reversal where we were seeing patients that have never been to a dentist and they became dental centric and then they went and looked for their own high-end private practitioner, which wasn't our model, you know. Um, and the same thing, the founder and uh, chief medical officer for Medical Man Cave, Dr. Stephen Matarjane, out of Denver, Colorado, approached me three years ago 
um, uh, knew what I did in the dental industry and said, could you do the same thing that you did for dentistry in this country? Can you, do you think you could do it for men's medicine? And I said, yes. Well, just like in 1979, when we started Upstate Dental Health Services PC, we had no competition. And in the last three years, I can tell you equivocally now with seven locations across the country, you know, we're in Denver, we're in San Diego, we're in Chicago, we're in Tampa, we're in Philadelphia, we're in Dallas, we're opening in Dubai this year. Um, I'm in Tampa office right now. We're opening actually down the road here at West Palm Beach. It's not, it's men's medicine and it wasn't accessible. It's not convenient and affordable. And we've had no competition in the last three years. Um, we have competition with some of our revenue streams because everybody, as, as we know, you have to go to five different locations and five different businesses to get things done. You can go to this one for an esthetician, or you can go over here for dermatology. We are putting everything under one roof, just like I did at Upstate Dental Health Services in Aspen, where we have oral surgery, endodontics, periodontics, we have orthodontics. And here at the man cave, we have primary care, we have cosmetic dental, we have psychiatry, um, we have TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is cutting edge TMS for psychiatry. Um, we also do hair replacements, we do body augmentation. So we're really becoming a one-stop shop for a man to go to the doctor. Um, by putting all these services in one spot, it's very convenient for him, it's accessible, and it's affordable because we're open six days a week here. We have in-house 0% payment plans here. Uh, we accept insurance. We'll process your insurance for you and we will wait on the payment. You do not have to pay up front. Um, so we'll process your insurance for you for things like primary care, for things like psych, for things like cosmetic dental. And we'll wait for those payments from the insurance company or put you on a payment plan if you don't have insurance. So um, we found... You know, three years ago when I was talking to Dr. Steve, I said, we have no competition. And now opening in all these markets, um, we have competition in some of our revenue streams, but no one has an all-inclusive um, type of men's health care like we do in these locations. Um, so it's been really, really gratifying. You know, with our aesthetic side of the practice, we build people's self-esteem. There's nothing I think you can do better for someone than to build their self-esteem, you know? So that's really gratifying here. And then have a place for a guy to talk to a psychiatrist, um, have a place where a guy can just talk to an esthetician or somebody, you know, in our in our ice cave with our body sculpting or, you know, these are really comfortable surroundings for people to communicate. Not only are our docs, see you later doc, not only are our doctors are really communicative, you know, I know that when a doctor has manual dexterity, and they pass the boards for a state and they have five to seven years experience as an MD or an ER doc, they can do our procedures. They can do hair transplants, they can do body augmentation. So that's kind of a given, right? That they've had that kind of experience. They passed their boards, they graduated top of their class. These are some of the prerequisites which we have. They've been practicing five to seven years. We really hire a personality. So they can mentor these patients and these guys just as well. And, you know, one of my recruiting sticks for the doctors is we get a lot of MDs, we get a lot of ER docs. I'm like, you know, the great time that you have with patients as you're leaving the hospital and you're saved their life and you're having conversation with the family or when they first come into an emergency room and you're putting people at ease and 
you know, that's really nice exchange that you have and you enjoy it. I said, that becomes 80% of your day now. So just flip it. No more nighttime hours, rope and eight to five. You know, I just flip your whole script of what you did for the last five to seven years as an ER doc. That time that you spent those two, three, five minutes that, you know, you were actually introduced to the family and the things that build a practice, that's 80% of the time that the doctor's doing here. You know, because we have great teams with physician assistants, medical assistants, hair techs that are super experienced and trained. So the docs were like, this is so refreshing. I've spent more quality time with my patients in one month working here than I did in the last two years in an ER. You know, and 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 I recognize that that's what this country is needed, just like my family and my dad recognized in 1979 that that's what this country needed for dentistry. Um, so we're really excited about what we've done and how many locations we put out where we have six coming this year in 2024 and we have 12 already sold for 2025. So we'll be opening Dubai this year, our first international location. Uh, Q3 next year, we'll be opening in Cancun. Um, we're really excited about the West Palm beach opening here coming up soon. So yeah, it's been, it's been just a really pleasure to see the reaction on the, on the gentlemen's faces when they come in our office and saying, you guys do this and you do that. And, and look at your location. It does not look like a dental office or it doesn't look like a medical office or a primary care office or a hair transplant office. You know, I'm not intimidated by the people that work here. You know, the entire place, you know, we're just real people. We're just real people person. And, and we're an all-inclusive, you know, we're, we're totally an all-inclusive company and we pride ourselves on being an all-inclusive company. I think it's pretty interesting too, how when it comes to dentistry, when it comes to men's health or healthcare, that you have figured out a way to remove the friction in the process for the patient, mm -hmm. right? The, you know, we were talking a little bit about it yesterday, the doctor's window. I know we talked about it with Gary, where they slide the window open. Here's your thing close. That's there's friction there. You don't feel yep. like you're treated like a person. Us um, against them. Just, for them you, against us, you know? Right. And the, right. And the barriers, the desks, the different things that put the patient kind of behind the desk and then you have the doctor on the other side and, and all of those things cost, um, whatever the case may be, those are all friction points for a patient to say, I don't need to go to the dentist because blah, blah, blah. It makes me feel this way. It costs this much. And then mm -hmm. you have the same reaction with men's health. This is an issue with men. I don't feel mm -hmm. comfortable at a doctor's office because of X, Y, Z. It could be any of those reasons I stated or something I didn't. But yep. removing the friction for, for people and allowing them to feel comfortable with themselves and with the people who are going to help them and their health, I think is what's really paramount here. That's that's what I've really noticed about your organizations and learning more about you is that you're able to just make this such an easy process when for years and years and years, it never has been. Right. No doubt about it. And as we were talking about, like yesterday, like you said, you know, at Upstate Dental Health Services, we eliminated its lighted window, you know, because when I would go to the, the doctor or the dentist when I was a kid, all I saw was like this window slide open and you only saw the arm to a shoulder with a clipboard. And then as soon as you grab the clipboard, that thing shut, you know. So I said, you know, there's no more windows. We're tearing them all down on any location because we used to renovate old locations. And then um, as we were talking yesterday, as I was telling you, I was up in Ottawa, Ontario for a reunion for the Ottawa 67s and the ownership bought a brand new, you know, it's like a 50 story hotel in downtown Ottawa that they just built brand new facility, brand new hotel, name brand. 
I walked in the lobby when we went to check in and there was no registration desk. There was no counter. It had literally a podium. There was like three podiums when you walked in the entrance of this gorgeous hotel and the people that were greeting you were walking around. And when I came in, they knew me by my first name. You know, we saw on the record that you're going to be checking in between six and seven. You know, obviously you're one of the, you know, I said, you're a team member, you must be RJ. And I was just really impressed because there was no divisional line. There was no this side or that side. You know, they walked around the podium, they checked me in with an iPad and they gave me an electronic key code for my phone. And I was up in the elevator within five minutes. Um, and it was really a refreshing change to go into a hotel and it and it wasn't like you were looking around when you walked in there and there's quite a few people in that lobby to see somebody to help you no they were ready like man cave was and like we were at upstate dental health services in aspen when someone walked in and that morning huddle that office said okay joe's coming in at two you know susie's coming in at three you know and they were standing up when that person walked in greeting them by their first name the same way we do at the man cave like we knew you were coming we expect you were coming we confirmed you you know a lot of times it's impersonal wise to tell all my um, front desk employees, like if someone walked into your house and this literally happened to me, this is how my sisters and I were trained as kids, as I was telling you, you know, um, my dad made dentures for dentist in the basement of our house on the days off he was from the, at the firehouse. You know, that was the first Aspen and upstate dental was invented at 522 William street in Rome, New York. You know, my dad was a fireman and he would work at the firehouse one day and had three days off. On his three days off, he made dentures in Crown and Bridge for all the dentists in the community um, during the day in our basement. My mom literally had a hairdresser, a uh, hair boutique in the front hall of our house. So my little, my sisters and I, when we were growing up, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, somebody, a lady would come to the door and we'd literally be watching TV and yell, mom, haircut. You know, because we saw them and we would greet them and ask them if they wanted to sit down and they'd be sitting in the living room with us sometimes, you know, because my parents worked out of our house. And then, you know, you would see a dentist come to the door, you know, picking up a case or something. And we'd yell down the basement stairs, dad, dentures, you know, dad, dentist, you know, and he would come up with the cases and give them to the dentist that he was working on. So, you know, I grew up greeting patients literally in my own living room. So I used to tell my front staff, front desk staff, I'm saying, someone walked in your house and sat on your couch, wouldn't you ask them, what do they do in there and how can you help them? You know, and, and in, in the front desk people's defense, they're inundated with insurance processing, they're inundated with new appointment calls, they're inundated with computer work, but there's a kiosk behind every front desk, a little false kiosk up top, a little valence in every one of our offices. And behind that valence, it said, people, phone, paperwork, in that order. Now it says people phone computer work in that order, you know, and that's how we literally had to take people. If there was somebody in the office, you put them on hold if you're on the phone, you know, if you're on the phone, if you're doing computer work and the phone rings, you drop your computer work and you pick up the phone in less than three rings, you know, you would get written up for less than if you want to let it go over four rings, you know, um, the, the things that we did as far as phone calls, there wasn't an automation. It wasn't press one for English. You're in America already, right? It wasn't press one for English. It was a live person at that location that you were going to be going to answering that phone in three rings, telling you who they were, introducing themselves and saying, how can I help you? 
you know, and it's that same person that you saw. So there wasn't any automated phone system in a tree, press one for root canals, press two for fillings, you know, press three for hair transplant. Now at the Minoka Man Cave, that's not the kind of stuff you get. You get a live person answering the phone and you get that central point of contact. You know, our office managers and our treatment plan coordinators, they're the same person that describes in layman's terms the doctor's treatments plans here in Medical Man Cave. Then doctor writes up the treatment plan. He's the first person that sees you, the doctor. He writes up a complete treatment plan. The treatment plan coordinator and office manager takes the patient into the consultation room and explains the procedures in layman's terms, how much they're going to cost, how long it's going to take your appointments, what your insurance pays, what you have to pay. You know, they're, they're experts at doing that, you know, to explain in layman's terms the doctor's treatment plan and take all the time in the world to answer these people's questions. But the continuity of that is what's really important. This is the same person that sat across the desk from you and explained the doctor's treatment plan. The person that worked out a payment plan with you, an in-house payment plan. Same person in this office that calls you to confirm your appointments. It's the same person when you walk in after your initial visit that greets you when you come in the waiting room, you know, with a handshake and takes you back to the room. So that those, those central point of contacts are really important, I think, in healthcare, because all too often you have several different people communicating with a patient and not everybody's singing out of the same hymn book, obviously. And it's just refreshing that this person knows your treatment plan that the doctor wrote up. They're very familiar with you. They're very familiar with your payment plan. And then you only have one central point of contact as you need it to go through. So I think that's been a big opportunity for improvement in the healthcare space that we filled as well. That's pretty impressive because you're you're attacking kind of a lot of the problems patients have with every kind of healthcare situation. Um, you know, like was it ten years ago you heard about like food deserts being a real problem, um, and then you kind of see those communities where they don't really have those kind of provisions set forward, and then you think about healthcare that way. As you mentioned, like dentistry, there's still places. You know, I'm in Kentucky now, but when I was still in Florida, there's still places in Florida where the nearest thing you have to you is Dollar General for you know 40, 50 miles. And mm -hmm. up here in Kentucky, it can be a little bit worse than that. So mm -hmm. to be able to kind of put in, whether it be the dental office units or now the, you know, man cave units, where you'll give a situation where a patient can come in and get that person-to-person -person contact. Let's be real. That's, that's a huge step. Like, you know, as we've already, as you've already heard, you know, I'm a veteran. So I go to the VA and the VA's heavy computer systems. Now, mm -hmm. let's be fair, that size, the amount of patients they have to deal with kind of requires that. There's no way the government can afford that kind of manpower, unfortunately, but it does get monotonous and irritating. Um, and you'd mentioned that right now, especially as you're, you're new, you're really pioneering this entire entire space, this entire environment for right now, you're going global. So right now for the world, um, and you don't have a whole lot of competition. Have you... Have you heard any like murmurs of competitions, any kind of competitors coming out? Or have you heard of some of the big chains that may own, you know, pharmacies and doctors, insurance companies that might be considering? Sure. Something? sure. There definitely there definitely rumbles out there. Um, one of the things that attracted me um, to, to really dive in and, and get involved, invested in this business is the name's gold. Right. Medical man cave. Like try to come up with another name that's as cool as that for men's medicine. You can name it Men's Health Club or, you know, the Men's Cigarette. There's nothing. So the name's gold first, you know, Medical Man Cave. Because whatever other name that someone comes up with, men aren't going to associate with it as much as they do this, you know, in this name. They're, they're popping up there. But as I said earlier, 
um, Cameron, they're popping up doing this kind of play that I did in dentistry and created in, in my family and in this medical man cave play, but they're only doing certain fragments. Like you're seeing national hair brands come out, right? You're seeing some very, there's no national aesthetic, you know, for men, you know, just aesthetics. If they're doing esthetician or they're doing dermatology, you know, there's, so no, they're still, there's, they're still not getting it. And one of the things is that the medical industry in this country is so fragmented into specialists. So there's not a lot of general practitioners left anymore. Right. Like uh, I grew up in, 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 um, so they're fragmented into specialists. So they don't have a well-versed of skills, you know, that, that are all things, you know, um, we use a lot of, you know, we have a lot of independent contractors that come in and they become W2s like our dentists are on staff, our psychiatrists are on staff, you know, so we get a well-rounded group. So that's the difference, you know, and, and, and I find that, you know, doctors are angels. I consider them angels. I consider nurses, anybody in healthcare, EMTs, I consider them angels. You know, they're caregivers. They're an angel to me. Um, and so God gave him a skill set of being a caregiver and an angel and having great manual dexterity to do neurosurgery and all these things, these amazing, incredible doctors do, but they didn't give them a lot of business sense. Yep. And they didn't get a lot of business sense in college because there's no prerequisite for dental school or medical school to have a finance class. How do you manage it? What's your patient acquisition cost? What's your daily break even? You know, what's your average spend per patient visit? You know, these kind of questions that are basic fundamentals of every healthcare business, they have no idea what their average spend per patient is or what their daily break even is or what their patient acquisition cost is, you know, what their percentage of revenue derived from what procedures. They don't have that. So they kind of think more linear and, and, and fragmented for them to come together and say, well, I'm going to get this other doctor buddy of mine and work with him and get him and we'll all go into the same practice. Day three, the place is chaos and they're fighting each other because who wants to be the boss? Who doesn't? Who was the boss? Who's not? You know, that kind of thing. So here at Medical Man Cave, everybody checks their ego at the door. You know, one of our mission statements is humility. You know, in our mission statement, it says it's humility and grace. We don't do anything that's illegal, moral, and ethical. We have humility and grace in all our positions. We, we, as we were getting into yesterday, right, Patrick? I have a regular, we draw the line in the sand ownership. We take, you know, whatever percentage profit. I'll use numbers that aren't relevant to any of this. But say we're us three going to practice, right? And, and I say to you guys, okay, you guys, let's draw a line in the sand. Let's take 30% net profit. I think we're doing really good. Let's take 30% net profit. And I know we've been averaging 35, but let's take 30, right, ourselves, And then we'll give the rest, the other 5% to the office equally every month, regardless of their position. So the doctor is going to get the same amount of bonus as the front desk person here at Medical Man Cave. The medical assistants and the physician's assistants and the hair techs and the treatment plan coordinators, they share equally in that pool. So every month they, you know, and they directly affect it. They directly affect that pool because it's profit sharing for them based on, and they share in that pool. So, you know, we consider everybody, we have a thing called, you know, check your ego at the door. We're all here for the patients. You know, that's kind of our MO. 
um, and making it convenient, affordable, and accessible, right? So the, the biggest thing is, is everybody here is equal and, and we consider our doctors Formula One drivers, right? You never see a Formula One race car driver get out of the car in the pits. You see a crew chief like me up in the tower with a, with a pit crew that's working in symphony to get that dry guy back on the track and let him race the, the, the race as best as possible. And that's how we consider ourselves. Hey, I've made a, a wonderful, incredible living beyond any imagination I've ever had by being subservient to dentists, being subservient to doctors. And I use that word on purpose to be the support team to that doctor so they can do what it only takes a license to do. And if it doesn't take a license to do, it's done for them. So the doctor can concentrate on the patient care and not have to worry about that other stuff. So that's really how the first DSO and the first MSO, which followed in this country, really got it. Because they said, yes, there is a place for an administrative staff for a doctor. And it's called the pit crew to make sure everything's in unison and working in concert so the doctor can do the best of his ability and not worry about anything else. So I think because of the fragmentation, like, listen, when we started Upstate Dental Health Services in 1979, the dental industry in this country was 99% fragmented into sole practitioners, single dentists practicing in a residential space. And as I studied health history in this country of physical health history, real estate health history in this country in the 40s was the first generation in the history of this country to put somebody in school. All the immigrants came over from every country in the world and their children grew up to be college age and they were the first generation in this history of their family or in this country to go to school, med school or dental school. What did they do when they got out of med school or dental school? They didn't have any money. They went back and moved in their mom and dad's house and they kicked their mom and dad upstairs to make an apartment in the upstairs of the house and they put their medical or dental office in the front living room. That's why in 1979, there was 99% fragmentation in this country of single practitioners practicing in a residential space. You know, now it's probably about 50 or 60%. You know, we've had a lot to do with that, right? Opening commercial dental offices all across the country and putting in groups. And the same things with the medical industry, it was 98% fragmented, you know, over those same number of years. It's amazing how they dovetailed each other. And, and now it's probably half, right? You see these big medical group practices, but you still see the single practitioner, but they're specializes in something. You know, this guy's a podiatrist, this guy's an optometrist, this guy's an audiologist, this guy's a dermatologist, this guy's, you know, a primary care. So it's fragmented still. Um, so, you know, that was really the history of healthcare in our country and how it developed in, and still that fragmentation of the medical industry is not giving men in this country or women for that matter, a one-stop shop option. Now, a one-stop shop option doesn't mean that you're going to get shoddy care. And the reason that I mitigate that is here's the dentist, here's his degree, went to the same university that your dentist graduated from. Here's our primary care doc. It's not the same guy. You know, here's our hair doc. Here's our body augmentation doc. You know, they're not the same doc. You know, they're specialized in what they do, but they've decided to come together with me to be in concert with Dr. Steve to be able to give these people a one-stop shop and give them the best care they can while they're there. 
you know, it's almost like having a tire specialist and an engine specialist and a, a wind resistant specialist all looking at your car and tuning it at the same time. You know, um, I need to draw some of those analogies just because, you know, the, the doctor is the person that we all support, you know, that we're all here for the doctor because the doctor is the only one that's here can be here for the patient and put their hands on the patient. So we really delineate between the things that take a license to do and the things that don't take a license to do it. If it doesn't take a license to do it, it's done for you. You know, you're only asked to do the things that it takes a license to do. No one's ever going to ask you to do faster and no one's going to ever tell you how to do medicine. You know, I get these hotshot docs all the time across the country because we're open in so many locations and they come in to interview with me and they say, what kind of medicine do you do here? And I'm like, I don't know. What kind of doctor are you? <laughs> you know, the medicine is only as good as you can do it, you know? <laughs> and then they, the, my primary care guys or my aesthetics guys, they'd say to me, well, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what's your criteria on your quarterly reviews for our performance? And I said, my first question is, how many days last quarter were you supposed to work? This has been a 20-year report. That this is all I use. Because I feel that production-based compensation in healthcare is completely unethical. Dentists, doctors, and, you know, some of the companies that I've owned, they've switched over to this and they've been sued for 20 straight years by every general, you know, every attorney general in every state in the country. Because their office managers and their doctors or dentists are compensated on the production that they do. There's no room for the word production or production-based compensation or a percentage of your production in healthcare or dental care because it's completely unethical. It promotes bad healthcare. It promotes doctors putting, you can make an honest person a crook without the right checks and balances. You can make a doctor do procedures that the patient doesn't need if you're paying them on a production-based compensation. So everybody listening to this, the next time you walk in your doctor's office or your dental office, ask them, are you compensated based on your production or are you paid a flat rate per day like the medical man cave or the Cleveland Clinic? So you know what you're making, right? And you can concentrate on patient care, not how much stuff you're piling on them that they don't need, you know? So that's a really important thing to note that we don't believe in production-based medicine whatsoever, you know? Um, so in that respect, you know, they'll say to me, um, what's the review? And I, I sit down with them and I have a big board up on the wall and I'm like, how many days were you supposed to work last quarter? How many days did you work? Right. I said, do you wear scrubs or do you wear a lab coat with professional dress underneath it? We did a study of a thousand patients in each state that we were in back in the day. And we drew, and we filmed it. We had them sign releases and we filmed it. When the doctor came in the operatory with scrubs on, the patient still sat back in the chair like this 95% of the time, did not readjust themselves. The doctor walked in with scrubs and they're just sitting back. When the doctors came in with a lab coat with a suit and tie or a lady doctor with a professional dress under their lab coat, 90% of the patients sat up straight in the chair. It was amazing. You know, that information, the vibration, right, that I so believe in, the, 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 you know, the culture of your company that we so believe in, you know, that vibration, the professionalism, it really does carry over and subliminally affect how your patients act, how your, your auxiliary staff acts, and how the doctors act. 
So, and then my second question to them is, you know, what's your dress? Do you wear scrubs every day? You, they can wear either or. Do you wear scrubs or are you professionally dressed? No, I love a lab coat or no, I love scrubs. And then I would ask them, I'd say, well, how many people did you help last quarter? And they would say, well, Mr. Adolfi, don't you care what I did? I'm like, no, it's a dental office. I'm pretty sure it was a root canal or a filling or an extraction, <laughs> you know, or a cleaning. And then the medical bank, they asked me, don't, Mr. Adolfi, don't you care what procedures I do? I'm great at this. And I said, no. All I care about is how many people you helped a day. You know, it's a given that you did it to the best of your ability and it was quality care, you know, and, and it's a given that you're either doing primary care or you're doing a hair transplant or you're doing cosmetic dental on this patient or you're doing some psych on this patient, you know. Um, so my prerequisites have nothing to do with productions and numbers and my per professional reviews and my performance reviews of my staff. They have everything to do with what did your patients say about you? And they'll say, well, you know, how do your patients feel? Oh, they love me. Blah, blah. Well, I have your last quarter of all your patients and we pulled every one of them. So we're going to be able to read together the best ones. And let's read right now the worst reviews you got from every patient you've got. That's all you last quarter, you know? And then I say, geez, I got all the employees that you've worked with. And now here's all their dissertations that aren't signed. And I bet you as we read through these, the good ones and the bad ones, you could probably tell me who that person was, even though they're not signed. The patient's reviews were always signed with their name, but the employee's reviews weren't because I wanted people to be more open and not have to feel any repercussions. But that doctor knew who was writing one up. So it was based on press gaining, right? We did press gaining with our patients as well. So those are my performance reviews. Like, are you nice? Are you nice to the patients? What are they thinking? And as everybody knows, perception is a thousand percent of everything. I don't care what you think. I learned this the hard way. It, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you're trying to convey. It's how people perceive you is the most important thing. So this gives those doctors an insight on how the patients perceive you, how your employees perceive you, how your coworkers perceive you, you know, in, in, in that light. So it's really about perception, which can really get distorted because it's really hard for people to get objectively out of themselves and look at things objectively, me included, you know, and it's just not innate in our nature. We have to go for the reference that we have. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty interesting how you discussed fragmentation of healthcare. I think that's a lot of patients, probably biggest complaints. I know Cam and I see it a lot as pharmacists and, and Cam was in the retail space. Um, there was a lot of just, you know, call, my doc called and said, I did this and, and everything's just going around and it really leaves the patient in a tough spot. It's, it's hanging. Yeah. No, like the person who is harmed the worst in that situation is the patient mentally, patient. emotionally, potentially physically, just financially. Yeah, financially. And you're doing all this stuff, like all this running around. And then you're calling the doc. Now you're pissed off at the pharmacist, which like hurts our heart. Right. But all these things that are that are going on, and it seems like the work is to consolidate healthcare to a mm -hmm. space where you're a like first and foremost minimizing patient harm and patient agony really from the whole system, and then mm -hmm. you're also now able to provide quality care, which is boosting the patient. And really gaining the patient's trust back into healthcare, where a lot of people, I mean, since COVID, really, we're, we've talked about it on the podcast here and there. A lot of people lost faith, 
faith in the healthcare system and doctors, pharmacists, everybody like pharmacists used to be one of the highest trusted professions in medicine. Mm -hmm. And look what the farm, you know, I'm going to hit them, but the pharmaceutical companies charging outrageous prices, doing what they do, prior authorizations has killed the pharmacist reputation more so than anything anymore. Where back in the day, you could go into the pharmacy and ask your pharmacist a question. Today, there's 20 people in line at CVS and no one's personable and they don't even give you the time of day because they're trying to fill the next prescription. So you don't have, like you said, you know, Patrick, that one-on-one time with a pharmacist, which, I mean, they were the best people to talk to because you, you weren't in the medical office. So you're a little bit more relaxed when you got to the pharmacy. And it was usually a friendly face because you used to get candy out of there when you were a kid. You know, and you're used to seeing the pharmacist and they knew your mom and dad by their first name. You know, those days are gone, but those days are coming back because there's a lot of people like me that um, in my generation, you know, Generation X, you know, um, there's a lot of people like me that, um, you know, I go into the store, I buy three pairs of the same pants. You know, if I order pants online, I'll buy three, three, the same pair. I'll get three, the same pair of shoes. You're like, I know men, I'm a man, right? Like, we don't want to waste any time. We want to be taken care of. We want to pay for it, whatever it costs, but I want what I want. You know what I mean? So being the biggest, toughest patient, I consider myself because I want what I want when I want it and I'm willing to pay for it, you know? And that's the culture that I've made in, in, for our patients here at Medical Man Cave. Like, I know you want to roll in. You want to go right back. You don't want to be sitting in the waiting room. You want to get explained everything. You want to have options. You want to understand everything. You want to have that personable experience with your doctor, you know? And that's why we reversed that role. So, you know, one of the best things that we did in Charleston, we have um, a gas station that they wear the bow tie now and the hat and that they pump your gas and they check your oil and they check your tires. The lines are around the corner. No one wants to, you know, that was great when you went to the gas station back in the day and they pumped your gas, they cleaned your windshield, they checked your oil and your fluids, and they checked your tire pressure and you were on your way and you knew the guy by the first name. There's more repeat business going to that station than any other station in Charleston County. You know, so people have never not wanted that. That's not gone away. You know, that personable experience and that one-on-one and that just extra conversation has not gone away. That need has not gone away from people. It's just disappeared in service. It's disappeared in medicine. It's disappeared in dentistry, you know, because half of it's production-based healthcare. Um, so they don't have any time for that. You know, I interviewed an ER doc this morning. He was on cloud nine when we got done. He goes, this is a dream come true. He goes, I've been an ER doc for 10 years. He goes, I'm a primary care guy. They tell me how many minutes I can have with a patient. I was like, what? And I like, I didn't even realize that. Like, that they're that stringent. He goes, yeah, I have three and a half minutes with each of my primary care patients. That's it. Or else I don't meet my quotas. And so if you don't meet your quota, you don't get hundred percent of your salary. And I was like, wow, I was just blown away. I was blown. It was a, it was a Texas doc that I was interviewing this morning for our Dallas location. He's like, you know, where do I sign? You're going to pay me a flat rate per day. The going rate of an ER doc with seven years experience I'm going to work Monday through Friday, eight to five with an hour for lunch with a 401k, a disability policy, a long-term care policy, you know, and they're just in a profit chain. Like they just, you know, they're, they're, they're blown away. How much time can I take with patients? As much time as the patient wants you to, because I'll hire more doctors because the reason why we're getting so busy is because you get to take as much time with the patient as you want to. You know what I mean? And if the guy's a talker, like massage envy, 
I did a training course for their corporate office in front of hundreds and hundreds of massage therapists. And it was all about the energy in the room, the vibration in the room, right? The exchange in the room. If that person's talking a blue streak, you better talk a blue streak for that hour and a half while you're giving that massage. If that person doesn't talk at all, you try to explain, you know, they're relaxing. You, then you less engage. You, you, you predicate your, you, you just play off what the patient needs. You, you, you identify what the patient's personality is. Are they an engineer type? Are they, you know, a truck driver? I just get truck drivers coming in the office all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm just passing through, RJ. I just need this toothpaste. Can you take care of me? Yep, let's get an x-ray and exam. We'll get you the prescription for the infection, and we'll get you another one for pain. Let's get that toothpaste. You know, I'm not sitting there saying, well, we can save that tooth, Joe, with an implant and a root canal posting crown. RJ, did you see? You remember me when I came six months ago? I'm missing like 17 other teeth in my mouth. You know what I mean? I want a partial. And, and, and like, you're not talking to him about saving his tooth. You know, it's rotted off of the gum. Pull the guy's tooth, get him out of pain. You know, get him in and get him out. You know, and, and then so you really just play off the patient. Whatever their needs are, whatever type of person they are, are they super analytical? You got to take all the time in the world? Or are they another person that just really wants to get things done? And if you do try to belabor anything and just, you know, beat it to, then they're just going to get upset and they, they feel like they're wasting your time. So you really, in my training class, I put glasses of water on the counter and I put my finger in the water and I say, you have to temper your temperament to the temperament of the patient's. You have to temper your temperament to the temperament of your team members. So you're very cognizant of those person's idiosyncrasies in the best way that they want to be communicated with and treated. And it becomes inherent with you, but you have to run that mental checklist through your head on how I'm presenting to this person. How is this person, the best thing I ever learned is how is this person perceiving right now? How are they perceiving this? You know, am I wasting their time? Am I, are they not? And you look at all the signals, right? The arms crossed, the legs open, you're welcome. The arms open, you're welcome. The arms crossed, I'm done, you know, um, that kind of stuff. So it's pretty interesting dynamic that in the training that our staff gets that has nothing to do with delivering medicine, but it has everything to do with patient care. Oh, yeah, that definitely makes a whole lot of sense. That's something I've even noticed in my own practice um, when I was doing community pharmacy. Like, as you mentioned, it's all kind of production compensation based. So they're really, especially the big names, they're really just trying to get those numbers out the door and kind of pushed on. So I worked for a chain, but it was a local Florida chain, so a little bit smaller. Um, and you'd really kind of see how patients would react. So I had worked with some older pharmacists who, you know, they'd been licensed for 30 years. They've been doing it for a long time. They've had their patients for 20 plus years. They knew them by name, like from sight, from across the store. They could know who they were and start talking to them immediately. And then as companies do, you know, newer pharmacists kind of came in and you can kind of see that stark difference where it's like, it's not machine kind of, but it's kind of like a machine. They're doing their jobs. They're talking to their patients as minimal as possible to get them out the door. And that's kind of a benefit I had in that setting is that by being, you know, trained underneath the older doctors, I was a lot more personable to the patients. So mm -hmm. I was at that store as an intern. So I'd been with those patients for years and then when I came back as a floating pharmacist, every time I would come back and rotate in, they would see my face, recognize me, and we'd be back to conversations. Like I'm you were the, the best people you were happy to see, right? It made exactly. your day by better. You were saying, hey, Joe, hey, Tom, how you doing? And they recognized you, Cameron. And they're like, Cameron, what you doing? You know, yes. like, you know me, you know my condition, you know my, you know, 
it's yeah it's 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 just been like that efficiency took over person you know personable service you know people didn't they, they thought it was an oxymoron right but it's not you know you know it really is efficiency destroyed the personable service in this country you know we're way more efficient but we're a lot more detached you yeah. know and i know myself with my experience and being the chief growth officer for the last few years at hope for cancer which has probably been the most gratifying position and as well as medical man cave building people's self-esteem and, and and making them spend more time with their loved ones giving them more time to spend with their loved ones um, you know, th those are big, big factors that come into this, you know, your faith and your outlook on life. If anybody here, you know, ever chooses to study the blue zone, I've been studying the blue zone for the last three years, but if you choose to study the blue zones in this world, you'll see there's common denominators with everybody in these blue zones. Their faith is off the chart where regardless, whatever their faith is, they sing every day, which I wish I could sing. You know, I got a better face for radio um, and voice. You know, if they 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 are interact with their friends every day, every day they have friend groups, and most of them in this um, blue zone in Japan, they have meetings every afternoon that they sing, they tell jokes, and they laugh all together. There's like ten or twelve of them in each one of these communities. They're all 120. And they, I get to live, I lived in that one. Yeah, they're 120, and they dance right. So they have unbelievable faith. They have friends, they sing and they dance, and they celebrate family and food, right? That's what the blue zone is. And, and that's what we try to bring back to healthcare, you know, making that a place so it's personable. Like you said, Cameron, I mean, I used to light up like you did. And I'm sure you, Patrick, when one of your patients walked in the door and they knew your name and, and they were genuinely happy to see you. Because the last time you were there, you treated them like a human being, you know, you treated them with love and affection. And, and, and that's what they picked up on. And, and the first thing they think about is that's where they're going back to. You know, that's where I'm going back to. Why would I go to someone else? You know, I like the way these people make me feel. I don't care what they do. You know, I mean, everybody can fix my Mercedes Benz, right? Most Mercedes Benz dealerships, they all got great mechanics. They can fix my car. I go to a certain dealership in Charleston because I know everybody in the place. Because they made it a point to know me. You know, I didn't make it a point to get to know them. They made it a point and made it really easy for me to see me. So now there's more convenient Mercedes service stations near my house. But I drive halfway across town to go to the one that when I walk in, they're like, RJ, come on around. You want a donut? You know, that kind of thing. You know, they always get me with a donut. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, that that's where I think that regardless of your vocation or your or your 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 business it doesn't negate people skills it doesn't negate treating everybody like family that comes into your business and people are really really smart patients are really educated these days with all the information you can get on the internet and and research that we never had before people are really really smart and very intuitive someone some of the people just don't pretend like they know what they know just because they're so over it and so more mature than what you're trying to treat them that they just don't even bother with it because it lowers their vibration, you know, to even bring it up to you or try to educate you on what they want. But, you know, 95% of these patients that walk in the door, let me tell you half the time that you're saying something to them and you know that you're just talking to them without a heartfelt conversation, they know you're just appeasing them. You're not fooling anybody. You're not the 800 pound grill in the room. They're not coming back. 
they're not telling somebody at the bar or somebody at the health club or the golf course, you know, what kind of unbelievable service they got. But, you know, people walk out of here and the next one walks in and says, he told me I had to come here. <laughs> and I love that. The patient comes in, sitting at the bar with my buddy the other night. We had a guy like that today. He goes, he told me I had to come. Like, he's going to be really upset with me if I have to go anywhere, if I go anywhere else. So you got to go oh, there. Yeah. And literally, he's like, dude, you got to go. He quoted it. He goes, dude, you got to go there. You got to check this shit out. You know, it was, and, and that just makes my heart sing, right? Like, here you got a guy who, you know, we don't want to spend, we don't want to waste time. But we want them to, I think men more so than everything, we, we want, I might get myself in trouble by saying this, right? But we want them to play off our emotions, right? Like pick up how we're feeling that day. Like I'm in a bad, just get it done, you know? Or I want you to tell me everything about this. You know, I'm in that kind of mood today. You know, and it could change from day to day, that patient. It could be an engineer, I call him. You know, as an engineer patient, do they want every minute detail? Well, you better give it to them and show them videos and inundated with information because that's what they love. Or is it, you know, the other? So I really think tempering the temperament of the patient and recognizing that temperament of the patient, you can relate to them better and they're more comfortable when they're in your office. Man, that's um, super insightful. It has really been a joy to talk to you and just pick your brain about how, you know, your perception of patients and then your perception of how patients should be treated by medicine. It's very refreshing. So just as we close out, do you have any like tips or advice for our listeners for maybe seeking treatment or business? Yeah. Any, anything that really how they're compensated and the doctor's going to say, excuse me, I'm a doctor. You're actually asking me how I get paid. Yeah. You want to be my doctor? Yeah, I am. You know, and you ask him, yeah, I am. I am asking you that because I'm your boss. Just like we're Americans, right? They're supposed to be the House and the Senate are supposed to be working for us, right? <laughs> but we don't have any say. It's almost like healthcare perception. You know, you're the doctor, but I can't ask you any questions. Like, how are you compensated? Are you production-based compensation? Or are you guys being paid a flat rate or a salary? And if he's cool, right? If he's a cool doctor and he's honest, he's going to take the time to explain to you. If he's put out about it, why would you want someone like that treating you? Why would you want someone treating you anyways as production-based compensation? So I think that's the biggest tip. And then don't take no for an answer. You know, can I get an appointment today? Why not? You know, go to a place that they say, yeah, come on right in. Go to a place that knows you by your first name. At the end of the day, the only enemy we have in this life is time. So why give your time to anybody who's not going to treat you no matter what service you're getting, with the dignity and respect that you deserve, right? You saw it. People are, you know, you saw it a couple of times, the examples that happened. There's brands tanking every day that are national brands for years that are tanking because they assume that you're going to buy it no matter how they treat you. You're going to assume that you're going to buy it. And now they're finding out, right? Whoa, <laughs> no. People are tired of that. People are having, they're tired of you telling them what to think. You know, um, they really are. And, and you know, I'm, as you guys can see, if you, have to, if you have to wonder what RJ Adolfi's thinking, then you really got a problem. Because <laughs> I wear my shirt on, you know, my cuff on my sleeve. It's really about making that person and answering to that person. And you're in the service industry, you know, or you're in the healthcare industry. Act like it. You know, those people are not here for you. You're here for them. And that, that's been confused with, you know, corporate medicine and production-based health care and dentistry. 
Um, there's just no place for it. It's completely unethical and they should be ashamed of themselves, you know, because at the end of the day, they're making billions of dollars, these companies. And I really say this, people say to me, you know, my CPAs and my accountants on staff, but I, they really, I really say to them and they say to me, you know, I say, what's the difference between 3 billion and 2 billion? And they're like, a oh, billion dollars, RJ. I'm like, no, if you, you can afford to take and do this better. You know, you can afford to hire one more person in that pharmacy just to talk to people and make sure they have everything in order in the line. Could you imagine if they had a person at every CVS that just handled the line? Do you have your card? Oh, no, that's not the right card. This one, see if you got that one in your wallet. Oh, what's your prescription? Oh, yeah, it looks like that's never been done. We just came up with something, right? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of service that people deserve. You know, somebody in the line, the line's 12 deep. If you vet all those people out in line so they have what they need, you know, you guys were in your airport and the guy goes to, to through security and he's pulling stuff out of his head. And I'm like, why didn't you have all that stuff ready, right? <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing in pharmacy lines. Why don't they have someone that preps everybody in line to make sure that they're ready? The line's going to go twice as fast. Instead of spending an hour in that pharmacy, you're only spent 15 minutes. Because they're not doing that at the counter, you know. Um, so stuff like that is, I think, what you should really look for in healthcare, And you can find it because there's unbelievable single practitioners in this country and dentists in this country that are wonderful, beautiful caregivers and angels. And you can find them, but look for the personality because most of their talents are equal. You know, regardless, they pass the boards. They're, they're a doctor or dermatologist. They have manual dexterity. They can do it. Now, some are a lot better than others, as you can tell. Um, but I'm saying go to the person and go to their skill set and do your homework and your research on everything, not just how good of a doctor they are, but how did they make you feel, you know? Um, and I know myself from experience, some of the best doctors with manual dexterity, God didn't give them a good personality. You know, some of the best doctors in the world, they, they can talk their way out of a paper bag. Some of the doctors that have the best chairside manner that are slick and have all this money and these beautiful practices. They're terrible doctors, but they got a great personality. So everybody thinks they're getting treated well because they don't even know. So my whole point, I guess, in saying that is ask questions. Ask questions. Don't be ashamed. There is no barrier. If there is a barrier, that's not the person you should be seeing. You should be seeing a person that doesn't have a barrier, you know, just like our front desks are all going away from the medical man cave. So, you know, those barriers, I think, break down and ask those tough questions and do your homework. I think that's the biggest advice, I think. And treat everybody with dignity, you know, treat everybody with dignity and still dignity in those patients during their patient journey. No matter what it is, your number one priority is to instill dignity into that patient. You know, I, I think that's your mission as a healthcare worker to instill that person with dignity and make them make them at ease and, and talk to them like a human being and take time with them. So. And, and it's and things are changing. People are opening these smaller practices again. Everything goes back around in cycles because, you know, no one wants to just be rushed. But, yeah, I hope we can do this again. Um, For sure. I'm really excited about it. I think, you know, I love talking to you guys. It was great meeting yesterday. And like I told you guys, anything I can do to help, I'll be more than happy to. Thank you. Yeah, we RJ. appreciate you coming on. We definitely appreciate all the knowledge you're dropping on everybody. Yeah, man. No doubt about it. You guys all have right, a great RJ. Yeah, all take right. it easy. Thank you so much. Yes, sir.